Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. It had been almost one month to the day. And if they closed their eyes late at night, underneath those stars, and thought back, they could hear the faint crying and then the loud screaming throughout the streets of Egypt. That same night, less than 30 days ago, that same night that they had painted the blood of a lamb over their doorpost, that same night that the Lord had sent his angel to come down and to exact judgment upon the firstborn of every child in Egypt. Just one month's time, and yet it had seemed like a lifetime. The taste of freedom, finally free, no longer slaves to Pharaoh and to Egypt, the fear of defeat. They could still feel the heat on the backs of their necks as Pharaoh's army hotly pursued them, but God cut them off and barricaded them by a fiery tornado. They could still, if they closed their eyes, feel the cool, misty breeze that must have rushed their faces as they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. It had only been 30 days, and they could still hear the pitter-patter of the bread that fell from heaven against their tents, providing them food for every day. Only 30 days. And yet in Exodus chapter 17, which is not where we are today, and yet in Exodus chapter 17, despite all of the evidence pointing to the contrary, they find themselves, the people of God, having experienced his provision and protection over the last 30 days, they find themselves lacking faith. They're thirsty. And they're in the middle of the wilderness. There is no water, no sea, no river, no lake, no pond, not even a little puddle for them to get some water from. And what do God's people do? Well, I think that you know what God's people do because we're God's people and we find ourselves in the same situation. They begin to complain and grumble. And it became so fierce that the Bible actually says that they quarreled with one another. Angry, bitter, they come to Moses. Just 30 days after having seen all of these things, they come to Moses and say, I wish we would have just died in Egypt rather than suffer from lack of water here in the wilderness. And Moses goes before the Lord, and the Lord commands Moses to gather Israel. And he says, Moses, take in your hand your wooden staff and go to the rock that I will show you. And as all of Israel is gathered before you, you take that wooden rod and you slam it against the stone 
So Moses gathered them there. And here he took this wooden staff and slammed it against this stone. And the Bible says that water began to pour out. Water began to gush out enough for all of the Israelites to have water and to have their supply. Here Moses hit the rock and water poured out providing life for those complainers in the wilderness. And it's in that same spirit that we find our text today over a thousand years in the future from what we've just discussed in John chapter 7 in verses 37 through 39. Hear now the word of the Lord. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I don't have the ability of myself today and this your precious word I fear I'll fumble and mumble it all up so I ask, I ask today that your spirit would intercede for me today and speak through me today and Lord that your people would be encouraged and drawn closer to you and that the lost would be saved use this week preacher right now to preach the power of your gospel it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The key to our passage today, and indeed the key to all of chapter 7, is found in verse 39. Look with me in verse 39, and we'll move backwards today. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Our subject today really has a lot to do with the Holy Spirit. And if I'm being completely honest, this is a very difficult passage for me to preach because there is a profound sense of heartbreak for you, for those of you who are watching at home, for myself. There's a profound sense of pain because the Holy Spirit is this forgotten God to us. Week after week and year after year, we gather together every Sunday in his name. But I fear so often that we gather in his name, we gather without his spirit. We become afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is the forgotten member of the Trinity amongst Reformed Evangelical American churches. And it's no wonder we're lacking in power. 
it's no wonder we're still struggling with the same sin that we struggled with a year ago and three years ago. It's no wonder we're still struggling to win people to Jesus. It's no wonder that the world has become so dark and barren. It's no wonder when we have subtracted from the equation something essential to the church, something as essential as the Holy Spirit. And so in its place, we've manufactured other things so that we can still keep people's attention. And so church services will make sure that everything is nice in appearance. We want to make sure that the lights are on, that the lights are pleasing behind us. And we want to make sure that the music, oh, we want it to be just the way that you want it. Perfect. So that we can manipulate, that's what churches do, you manipulate people's feelings. Because if the Holy Spirit's not there, there's got to be some manipulation of the heart. And so churches have subtracted the Holy Spirit from the equation, and in its place, we have put something far less powerful. We have, we have replaced the Holy Spirit with emotions. Baptists, of all people, have done a terrible job at preaching on the Holy Spirit for fear that we fall into the category of other brothers and sisters in Christ who I believe have misrepresented the Holy Spirit by wrong means. This is a subject that is difficult for me to preach because it's not just a power lacking in the pew, but in the pulpit. How often we, how often I do not rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit and so it's my goal right now as we go through this text to lean heavily on him and ask him to speak to me, speak through me as we work our way through this passage by asking four key questions. These are questions implicit within the text. They're implicit to those who Jesus spoke to so long ago and they are questions directly aimed at us. And so let me ask our first question today. Are we thirsty are we thirsty look in verse 37 on the last day of the feast of the great day Jesus stood up and cried out if anyone thirsts it seems like kind of a silly question to ask you today if you are thirsty or if you are thirsting but the blessing that we speak of today concerning the holy spirit is a conditional blessing to understand this properly let's remember our context because it's been some time since we've been in john chapter 7 jesus is at the feast of tabernacles and this is the party of all parties for israel they have three festivals that are pilgrimage festivals, which they expect the men, at least, to travel to Jerusalem. But the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, is a special one. It's an eight-day camping trip with your family at the end of the harvest 
in Jerusalem. And it is spectacular in Jerusalem. All of, the, all of the things that are going on surrounding the Feast of Tabernacles, your family brings in these branches and you make these lean-to tents. And you look out at the stars at night. There's all types of celebration for the harvest, thanking God for the rain, thanking God for the harvest. They are having a party and enjoying it. And they're remembering as they build these tents and as they live in these tents, they are remembering how God took care of them in the wilderness. How God gave them bread to eat from the sky. How God gave them water to drink from the rock. They're remembering his provision even um, uh, even amidst their unfaithfulness. They're rejoicing. Because the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, has become a festival that represents the presence of God with his people. And so they are awaiting his presence, and they're looking forward to the day when they're all just in his presence, in his glory forever and ever. And what makes this statement specifically special is that there's a specific ritual that the Bible doesn't tell uh, the Israelites to do, but it became very prominent before Jesus' birth and was used all throughout Jesus' lifetime. This is an eight-day festival. And so on the first day at dawn, one of the priests would grab a golden pitcher from the temple and there would be a big parade, just this large procession. And he would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would fill that container with water. And then the parade would make its way back up to the temple with great pomp and circumstance. And they would, they would go up toward the altar. And as the first sacrifice was being made for the day, the priest would get up on top of the altar and would pour the water down the west side of the altar. And so it was something, and, as, and by the way, as he did that, uh, the choir began to sing Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, the Hillel. And so they're singing songs about praise and worship of God's presence. They're singing, they're singing to our God and thanking him for his presence here in Israel. And as that water pours down the rock, as that water pours down the altar, you know what they're thinking about? They're thinking about the time that Moses struck that rock and water came out. Now, this happened the first day, the second day, all the way through the seventh day. But on the eighth day, there was no golden pitcher. There was no parade, no trip down to the pool of Siloam, no trip back up, no singing. But a priest would stand up and he would pray. And he would ask the Lord to please bring the rain, both the rain down for their crops for the next year and his rain over his people. And it's here on the eighth day when there is no water, no parade, but only a prayer that Jesus stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, it's conditional. Are you thirsting for him? Do you thirst for Jesus? Do you long for him? 
Now, I understand that there are some who are watching. There are some who are present here today who've never repented of their sins and called upon Jesus as Lord. You're not born again. And you're, you're thirsting, but you want to know what for. And we want to talk to you about Jesus today. And we want to teach you about the gospel. But my fear is that the church has lost its thirst. You know, I want to actually rephrase that. You know, it's kind of like if I'm with my kids and I have a Coca-Cola in my hands, my kids become thirsty. Daddy, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I'm real thirsty. That's when as a dad you say, oh, hey, thirsty. I'm Friday or, you know, whatever. I'm thirsty. I'm dad. I love that. Okay. My kids say, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And so I'll grab a bottle of water and they'll hand it to them and they say, no. No, no, no. Not that. I'm not, no, I'm not thirsty for water. You know, we're not thirsty. I'm not thirsty for the Coke. And here the church is crying out all the time, Lord, we're, we're thirsty. We, we need you. We need you. And God says, let me pour out my spirit upon you. And we've said, oh, no thanks. No thanks. Because the question really isn't, are you thirsty? But are you thirsty for him? Do you desire Jesus do you long for him? Don't make the mistake of the Israelites so long ago whom in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, God would say, you've done two great evils in my eyes. First of all, you've abandoned me, the living water. And number two, you've hewn out for yourself cisterns that are broken, that can hold no water. Why in the world is the church defined by everything else but our thirst for Jesus? Why is the church known to the world for ev literally everything else, but there's an absence of a thirst for Jesus. Friends, if you aren't thirsting for him, there's a problem. The psalmist says it like this, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. This isn't just another social club. Church, maybe, maybe it used to be like that. And well, back in the golden days of churches around the South where everyone in business wanted to be in church because that's how you made connections and that's how things were. This isn't just another club where we come and recite some weird songs to one another and then listen to some buffoon stand up and tell you something that you probably already know. What we're doing is altogether different. Are you thirsty? Do you long for him? Do you wake up wanting more of Jesus? Do you desire him as you're driving down the road caught in traffic and be like, Lord, I need you. Are you thirsty? I was coming into church this morning. Beautiful, beautiful morning outside. Beautiful blue skies. And Wayne Gately, I call him chief. Always will call him chief. I said, chief, it's a beautiful day. He said, it's a beautiful day for Jesus to come back. I said, ain't that right? I said, I believe if he did, I wouldn't even look down. I wouldn't even look down. Friends, are you thirsty? for him. The next question that pushes our text forward is, 
Are we coming to Jesus? Are we coming to Jesus? These are sequential, by the way. You can't come in in step two, okay? You can't come into step three and somehow work your way around to one and two. First, you must be thirsty. And if you are here today and you're not thirsty, then at the end of this service, or God forbid, not even wait till then, you should in your pew fall before the Lord and beg him to give you the right thirst. But the, but the second thing that he says is that we are to come to him. If is the initiation of the condition. But it's a two-parter. If we come, are you coming to Jesus? You can never fully come to him if you are full and satisfied in life. You can never come to him if, if everything seems to be going your way. And if you, think that you have, uh, if you think that you have all the righteousness that you need, you can't come to him like that. That's not the way that you come to the king of the universe. That's not the way you come to Jesus. You come empty. You come thirsty. Or you don't even come at all. A call to Jesus is a call to come. Us to respond Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 16, 24, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 21, when Jesus is speaking to the rich young ruler who is by his standards, has fulfilled all of the commandments, and he wants to know how he can get to heaven. Jesus says, do the commandments. He said, I've done all of them. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have, all that you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. A call to Jesus is to come from him. And by the way, a call to come to him is a call to run away from something. Some of you need to hear this today. You don't flirt with sin. You don't sit back with sin. I was reading several weeks ago in the book of Genesis, right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his family lingered around. But God in his mercy and in his grace took Lot and his wife and his daughters and set them outside the town. And you know what their response to that family was? They told them, Run for your lives. Flee from sin. The scripture commands us all the time. Run from sin. Flee from sin. Get away from it. Christians have become all too comfortable with cuddling up next to it, giggling at it, and we wonder why we lack the power. We wonder why no one wants what we have. We wonder why we feel so stinking empty. Because we've not thirsted for him, and we've not come to him. We've not run away from sin and ran to him. How guilty are we of wanting to take so often to him the big things in our lives? I mean, we have been, we've really been, 
we've really been bamboozled really here by this American business model. You know, we're going to take care of the small things, Lord, and when we have the big problems, we'll bring them to you. Listen, friends, all of your problems are small to the Lord. You don't have a big problem to him. It feels big to you. You better believe that feels, it feels real big to you. And sometimes it is painful and difficult. But there are no, there are no big problems to God. They're all small. The God who created the universe with just speaking it into existence, he can handle your problems. Come to me. You're struggling with sin. Are you hurt? Is your heart broken? Are you having difficulties in your marriage and in your family? Come to Jesus. Bring all of them to him. Don't be proud. Be needy. It's good to be needy. It's good to recognize your place before him. It's good to recognize you have nothing to provide in and of yourself. The song, the old hymn, Come Ye Sinners, is a song that, that while the tune may not be catchy to us today, the words are profound and should be sung from our hearts as praise to him. The words go like this, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. And then I love the chorus. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. A lot of you are trying to make it on your own and boy you put on a good smile today and you dressed up and you look just right when are you going to realize we're just broken people come to Jesus you've got nothing to prove to anyone here are you thirsty are you coming to Jesus number three are you drinking verse 37 on the last day of the feast of the great day Jesus stood up and cried out if anyone thirst let him come to me and drink you've heard the expression you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink you've heard that expression before there are a lot of people who admire Jesus from afar. And there's a lot of people who admire him from a few or from a few. But when it comes to knowing him, when it comes to taking him in and receiving him, that becomes the problem. The American church is filled with people who just admire Jesus. But when it comes to taking him in, they want the fire insurance, they want heaven, but they don't actually want him. Proximity to Jesus doesn't save you. There were two thieves on either side of Jesus as he was nailed to the cross. Their proximity to him physically is not what was the difference between heaven and hell. One of them died and went to hell. One of them died and went to heaven. The one who went to heaven because the 
proximity between him and Jesus spiritually, he was cursing him one moment. And as he saw Jesus' perfection and glory, he repented of his sins and came to know Jesus. He took him in. The gospel's not meant to be academic, but it's meant to be a matter of the heart, taking him in by faith. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman? Remember in John chapter 4, she had evaded all of, the, all of the women in her town to avoid their judgment. She had evaded all of those things. She had come down to get that water from the well week in and week out. It always ran out. It never satisfied. And what did Jesus tell her? If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink. Thank you. Come to Jesus. Are we thirsty? Are we coming? Are we drinking? Are you taking him in? Do you spend time and study with him daily? Do you spend time gazing upon him and his word? Do you spend time with him praying? Are you drinking him in? And finally, are we flowing? This is kind of an odd point, but go with me here. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. First question we asked was, are you thirsty? If you're thirsty, you can come to Jesus. And if you come to Jesus, your next step is to drink him in spiritually. Take him in. Lord, you're the ruler. You're the master of my life. But then what happens is astounding. And it's odd that church still looks the way that it does. And we still act the way that we do. Because here Jesus says, if we believe in him, if we take him in, out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. How is it that we still look like everyone else? How is it that we, people in our places of work and our family could be asked about our relationship with Jesus and they might say, I don't know. Or that some Christians here are waiting till judgment day and when looking for proof of their sincerity, you would say, well, I attended, I attended church on Sundays. I gave you my Sundays. Well, the ones that were, the ones where the weather wasn't great, you know, the rainy Sundays, I mean, you can't get wet, right? I mean, you can't get out, you can't get out in that rain and, and the really pretty Sundays, I mean, there was, but I gave you my Sundays. Or, or maybe, maybe some people are relying on the fact that maybe their pocketbook looks a little bit differently. Their bank account looks a little bit differently. Or I, I gave a tenth. You command to give a tenth. Yes, I gave a tenth. I tithe. By the way, as your pastor, just like a mini sermon here as we get to the end of this message, it's important that you tithe. And it's not for me. It's not important for me to say that to you because guess what? You know, God's got old Josh covered. I ain't worried about it. But tithing's a matter of your heart. If you can't give a tenth of what God has given you back to him, that reflects a huge problem that you ought to be very concerned about. And I'm not here to get on to you, but I'm here to tell you, friends, if you want to experience the blessings of God upon your life, don't keep back from him and stop stealing from him. That was free. 
apart from your bank account, apart from your church attendance, how do people know that you're a follower of Jesus? Here, the Bible says, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Shouldn't we look different? Shouldn't we look dramatically different? I'm, I'm more guilty than anyone else in this room. Shouldn't everything we do look different if our hearts went from being a desert to an oasis? And so Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And if he believes, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.